A podcast where we go one-on-one with fiction creators, such as authors, filmmakers, actors, songwriters, and more. Each episode, we get the inside scoop on our guests' creative process, the ups and downs of their industries, and our guests also give out tips and tricks that help them become successful. And now, let's jump into the episode with your host, Chris C.L. Lowry. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Fiction Addiction Podcast. My next guest is a loving wife and the mother of four beautiful children. She is also from the Philadelphia area. She has the great honor of homeschooling two of her children. When she's not tackling lesson plans or chasing her very active toddler around, she writes curriculum for Lifeway Christian Resources. In her spare time, she also writes blogs on motherhood and shares about her family's homeschool journey at www.abletoteach.com. As a child, she was described as a bit of a scaredy cat who would never dream of exploring in the dark, but now she is the creator of a special group of children called the Rumble Hunters who explore curious sounds that they hear during bedtime. Ladies and gentlemen, Courtney B. Dunlap is here with us. Courtney, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm excited. <laughs> so, so when did you start writing? Uh, so I've actually always preferred English and those types of, you know, English language arts, all that over math any day, even in school. I, I'm a terrible test taker. Ah, uh, yeah. So no, writing has always kind of been my thing. And I talk a lot. So I think that those two kind of go hand in hand. Um, but when I started being a little more serious about it was um, my oldest is 11 now. And we actually have four children. Um, my oldest is 11, like I said. And so when I began homeschooling her from the very beginning um, in preschool and then kindergarten, there were times where I would be looking for material that would depict African-American families, but also our Christian faith. And mm. I would get really frustrated because I would see either really, really good books that showed African-American people and children and families, um, but it wouldn't necessarily reflect our faith. Or on the opposite, I would see really, really good, sound Christian books and things like that that would be um, things that we utilize to train our children. Um, and But it just didn't look like us at all. So I was just really frustrated. I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm about to start writing something. So that mm. kind of began this weaving journey, I guess, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, so we've been homeschooling for seven years. So, yeah, I guess, um, yeah, around six, seven years, really, um, I have been writing in that way. And it's just kind of evolved. I also, a little bit after that, I started doing the blog, um, just to kind of, like you said, uh, you know, kind of just chart our journey. I really felt like there weren't as many down to earth spaces online because I didn't know what I was doing. The only people that I ever knew or experienced who were homeschoolers, they were super weird to me. Uh, none of them looked like <laughs> me either. I was like, woo. <laughs> so they were interesting, the people I encountered. And so, or whenever I would look online, like Pinterest, or I would try to find different 
um, homeschooling blogs, they would be great. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But they would all have like the color coded um, shelving units from Ikea and like the beautiful displays of their blocks neatly stacked in a pyramid. And, you know, like their things just, just so, you know, and it felt unreal. And I was like, right, I had right. a lot of, I would put so much pressure on myself. Like, oh my gosh, we gotta look like this. But, you know, here we had laundry in the corner and all over right. and dishes all over the counter and just crazy chaos, you know? So I was like, man, I really don't see even just real life reflected per se. So that also is what drove me to start doing the blog. So those kind of things went hand in hand in a way. So when you, when you talk about, I'm going to take it back a little bit. So when you talk about um, the inability to find material that not only represented um, minorities, but also the Christian faith, why, why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it's such, um, I guess, rarity in the, in, with the combination of both? Well, uh, how much time do we have for that? Uh, <laughs> we could be here for a minute. <laughs> I mean, if you really want to go way, way back. No, um, that's a really good question. Unfortunately, there, there's just a lot of roots of just, or the tentacles, I could say, maybe of white supremacy, of how they have kind of... Um, even unfortunately wrap themselves through the church. Like historically, the Christian faith is not a white Western faith. You know, these were people of color. They were in hot, humid areas, you know, like the sun's beating down, like they were, they had some color to them. Um, and, you know, in fact, even in Africa, um, a lot of the major learning systems in, in ancient times, people were coming to North Africa to study and learn about the Christian faith way before Europe ever got a hold of it. And so at some point, you know, when white supremacy started taking over, you know, and there was definitely a clear distinction, uh, because even if you look at like the Ethiopian church, a lot of the depictions of the, I guess, you know, the greats of the faith or whatever you want to say, they, they had features to them that they did not look European, you know, but eventually once white supremacy um, and, and the, the things that out, you know, the outworkings of that um, starts to spread, you see a distinct difference in how, you know, Jesus was dis, um, depicted and Mary and all those things. And so eventually, you know, when you work its way up to modern times, unfortunately, I wouldn't even say residue because you know, that's when it's only a little bit left, but there's still a, a heavily, I guess, um, apparent amount of underlying tones of racism and uh, in how, you know, characters from the Bible are depicted. So honestly, it's a shame, you know, it never was intended to be that way. You know, like the gospel yeah, is for everyone. I, you know, I could go on and on, but, you know, uh, Jesus uh, in the scriptures, it says, you know, if he's raised up, all men will be drawn unto him. Um, so, you know, everybody, that's not just whites. That's not just blacks. That's not just, you know, Koreans. That's not just, you know, uh, people from the Caribbean or wherever, you know, like all nations, you know. Um, so I could go on and on. But yeah, I mean, if, if I summed it up in that, unfortunately, a lot of that is tied to this historical outgrowth of racism. And so that's why we don't necessarily see a ton of marrying between 
African-American or, or, or people of color or stories of people of color with, um, you know, Christianity. That's not to say there isn't any at all. I'm not saying that whatsoever, but, you know, you can go through any bookstore, even a Christian bookstore and aisle at the aisle at the aisle, you see, you know, white, 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 every children's book, every, sorry, every children's Bible is white, 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 you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, Jesus. Um, and then you might get maybe one <laughs> where he <laughs> might have somebody might have just shaded a little heavier with that drawing. And it's like, okay. Now, <laughs> so. to stand on the topic from a parental perspective, um, why was and why is, I guess, because because I'm sure the search continues, why is that search so important um, in terms of getting that type of material to your children and teaching them about it? You know, for me, uh, to, I have three daughters and one son. And some years ago, my big girls, I call them my big girls. They're 11 and eight now. Uh, maybe three, four years ago, we were on, um, I guess in the, as, a, as a household, it was like on a Barbie kick. <laughs> Disney <laughs> Princess Barbie. You know, they're really girly, you know, tea parties, dresses, just all of it. And I remember my oldest being around seven and she would like take her dress up dress and put it on her head and pretend it was hair, you know, long flowing hair. Mm. And she would be, you know, swinging it, dancing, singing, you know, which isn't bad. You know, that's, that's the child. That's what they do. But I was noticing just a tendency in her particularly and then even my second daughter to be drawn towards more European looking. Not that it's bad again, but I'm like, hold on a second now. Hold on. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, we got some kinks in our hair, girls. Right, you know, right, got, right. If, if, if we hit that pool just right, look, that present <laughs> curl not going to be what it was meant to be. So I actually ended up having us be on a Barbie band for like a year. My husband and I, we sat the kids down and we talked to them. And we were explaining, not that Barbie's bad, because I mean, I love, I played with Barbie till I was like 13, okay? Uh, <laughs> you know, and, but we explained to them that we need to celebrate who God has made us to be. We, he wanted my hair to be kinky. He wanted me to have an afro. Like, he purposely designed me this way. So that meant, all right, you know what? We got to now actually seek out either media, um, books, you know, Anything coloring books? Uh, I, listen, I was on a, I was on a search. You know, even down to their school notebooks, I was looking for things that showed, you know, depictions of people who look like us because I wanted them to celebrate who they were and be happy with, like, this is who I am. You know, right. like you can buy it and put it on, but eventually you're gonna have to take it off of it. You know, it off, yeah. so so when you even translate that into our faith, like again thinking through historically, because unfortunately, many people nowadays especially have the misconception that Christianity is a white man's religion. And, you know, back in slavery time, the masters beat it into like, no, again, like if you go back to history, you know, Africa and, and parts of North Africa, like I said, were major institutions where the world would come to or the ancient world rather would come to to learn and study and sit under the tutelage. You know, if you think about Augustine, you know, uh, even Mark, uh, you know, even Alexandria, um, that part in North Africa, like they were coming and flocking to these places to learn from African people 
about mm. Christianity. So I need my children to know, like, listen, you know, not that we elevate our blackness, because ultimately in Christ, I have a new identity who he says I am, you know, like my identity isn't in my color, but the reality is he gave me this color and I need to be happy and proud of it and celebrate it. So I wanted that to translate to my children. So that's why having books that marry our faith as well as representation about, you know, who God has created us to be are so important as a parent. And now, um, you said the oldest was 11. Yes. So how was the youngest? Oh, she's two. She's crazy. (laughs) She's two. (laughs) I love her. Her name is Nyla. And like we call her Nana. And she is funny. (laughs) It's crazy how the terrible twos like now was like stressed out to like a whole. It's like from one and a half to like four now. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And we are getting, listen, this is our first child in our 30s. And I, for a quick hot second, I toyed around with the idea because there's such a big gap between her and our next oldest, our boy, who's right above her, her, it's five year gap. And I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, this poor little baby, she's going to be all by herself. She needs somebody. And so for a quick hot second, I'm like, oh, well, maybe we can try, you know, maybe have another. Of course, my husband the whole time was like, uh, nah, you tripping. But yeah, once (laughs) Nyla came along, yeah, nah, I'm good with four. I'm right, good. once some, them 30s hit, you ain't, you, ain't, you ain't running around like you used to. They hit different. And she's the only one who has thrown tantrums. She hits. She says no. The other kids, they wouldn't even think about coughing that way. So right. it kills me. It cracks me up that she is so bold, but she needs people to know she's here. So, yep. <laughs> So now, as a parent, because um, I've seen it, so... Uh, with you having 11, like raising the child 11 years ago, 10 years ago, um, compared to now and just the material you can get, um, you spoke on uh, being proud of your blackness, being proud of your hair with so many books, so many authors coming out with stories that represent us and, and do give young boys and girls of color that representation. How big is that? from you as a parent to see the the difference from 10 years ago to now raising the child. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. I I celebrate (laughs) it. I'm like, look, we need more. Right. Uh, right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like for real. I mean, yeah, I love it. It's wonderful. I think it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's exciting. I'm happy that people are buying into this, you know, even like when you think about natural hair, Uh, when I was in college, uh, like, well, I'm trying to think. When was I in college? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I started college. I'm like, wait, when? <laughs> like, so probably around like 2003, 2004, like my sophomore, junior year ish, maybe 2005, going into you know, uh, I decided to quote unquote go natural, right? So I, you know, I started growing my hair out and. That was before the big chop was a thing, you know, with the big chop is where a woman decides to go natural and she decides, all right, I'm going to chop off all of the hair that might have had residue from uh, or or the remnants of uh, uh, a relaxer that straightens your hair. So it's like you cut off the straight pieces of your hair. So it was before that was like a thing, really, at least for college students. I don't I don't know about folks, you know, in different spheres, but I know in my college that was not a thing. So I remember when I was growing my hair out. My grandmom, she'd be like, baby, 
now what, what are we doing with, with your hair now? <laughs> and I'm like, Grandma, stop, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that just was not a thing, really, you know, to celebrate it. But now, like you're saying, how many more years later, like everybody, that's the thing. Oh, girl, I'm about to do the big shop. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Right. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. And it's great. And I'm hyped and I'm happy for that. So it's wonderful. I think it's great that there's so many books again like you know the skin i'm in and and you know hair like mine hair love oh my gosh shout hair out love. to matthew yes. oh shout out. <laughs> like, this is great this is i think it's wonderful so what um what got you into homeschooling what led you to make that decision oh wow so <laughs> uh, we <laughs> like how do i answer that my my background is actually in, I got my undergrad degree in psychology and then my master's was Christian counseling. So I was pursuing a career in the mental health field. I was so mm. set on having my own mental health practice. I just really wanted my name to be hanging on a door somewhere and, you know, the doctor will see you now. Come in, you know. So right. that was my goal. And that's what I was striving for when our first daughter came along. We were living in Philadelphia at the time, and I, I love Philly. Philly has been home to us for a minute. Um, recently, we have moved a little bit outside of it, but yeah. And so, of course, once she started getting around school age-ish, you know, the question started asking, like, so what are you guys going to do? You're going to put her into a school? Because I, I, every time I would have a child, I would basically come home from whatever job I was working at and, you know, I'd be home for a time and then I would go back to another position in, in the field that I was in. So with the oldest, when it was like getting around preschool, you know, people were like, so what are you going to do? And my mom, she actually is a retired school teacher from a public school and she did that for 40 years. And of mm. course, so all the questions were coming and I'm a product of the public school system. I had a wonderful experience. I loved my elementary school years. It was wonderful. Even my high school, I loved it. So anyway, we just were not comfortable with where the school district was at the time. We have a lot of friends that we love dearly who were teachers in Philadelphia and who work so hard. And you can see the passion just like pouring out of them. And it's amazing, but comprehensively, unfortunately, the system, the school system in general is broken. And so we were not comfortable with putting our child into it. So my husband, he's the one who had the idea about homeschooling. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Again, if you remember when I said my encounters were like with other people who were homeschoolers, I was like, no. And so, but we went to a workshop called how to homeschool which is like so obvious like okay how do you homeschool and we walked away from that workshop so blown away so impressed the presenter mm. gave so many statistics you know she just laid out the benefits it wasn't even like she was selling us all she literally was stating facts <laughs> and we walked away like how could we not you know just right. by leaps and bounds the statistics for the testing scores and college acceptance for homeschoolers versus private school children for students versus public school students. It just, it wasn't even, it wasn't even close. So, and it's almost, it's like a private tutor, you know, like, why not? So we were really impressed and we were like, all right, we can do this. So that's what started our homeschooling journey. Mm. 
So, so how has that journey been? Um, were any challenges or any anything that stood out beneficially uh, for you as a parent? Oh yeah, I love it. So, like I told you, I had a one track mind about my own counseling practice for years. That was like all I would eat, sleep, breathe it. it that was all I could envision. <laughs> for real, I'm not lying. And eventually a shift happened. I I don't really know exactly when. Um, I think it was married to how empowering it was to be able, and this probably sounds all like cliche, but I really mean it. It just felt so empowering to teach my own child. Um, You know, the name of my blog is called Able to Teach. And that's the reality. Like I really wholeheartedly believe through every fiber of my being that as parents, we are able to teach our children. It may not look like homeschooling for this family or for that family, um, but in some way, somehow, some shape, some form, we all are able to teach our children. I encounter people so many times, you know, they're like, oh, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm a homeschooler. And they're like, oh, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> and they're like, good, good for you. I know I couldn't do that. And I'm always like, yes, you can. Like, it's not that deep. You know, the reality is. So for instance, my oldest, she's really interested in cooking. She even tells me now that she wants to go to culinary arts school. I'm like, yes, 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 please. That'd be awesome. That or fashion design. (laughs) Look, okay. And she actually is a good, she's good. It's funny because I grew up not knowing how to cook. My poor husband, we got married. All I knew how to make was spaghetti and meatballs. It was oh man. I'm so happy. I'm so happy he survived and stayed around. I'm so happy. But anyway, you know, even as simple as if you're just in the kitchen with your child and you're making something, why not call them in with you and you can begin to do a math lesson. You can teach them about fractions as you measure out things. And even teaching them about solids and liquids. I didn't know this. Uh, one of my dear friends, Erica, she passed away um, late last year, but I'll never forget years ago. She taught me that there's different types of measuring cups depending on if you're using a liquid or a solid. That blew my mind. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. But stuff like that, like just teaching just general things in that way. Uh, you know, even like fractions, like with my little boy, I'll say Kirk Kirk. Do you want your sandwich cut in fourths? And now he's six, but now he knows what that means because I've right. done it so often. So simple ways where you can teach your children, you know, that's easy everyday life skills. You know, when we go to the grocery store, I'm not always good with this, but I'm trying to be better. But trying to pay with change and I will count out the change in front of my child. And sometimes I'll make them do it. So they're learning math skills in that way. So as a parent, again, we're able to teach our children. So absolutely, I am a proponent of homeschooling, but it doesn't have to just look like you pulling your child out of a traditional school setting, if that makes sense. Right. And that's so dope that you said that and gave those examples, because each one, even if if a parent does send their uh, child to traditional like schools, those examples you gave they can still do you know what i mean so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah so i think i think that's i think that's dope um mm-hmm. i think every parent should be doing it you know what i mean Not, yeah <laughs> it, it makes sense so mm-hmm. uh you mentioned mental health and, and wanting to get into mental health and dive into that uh that area of for a profession 
What do you think about the state of mental health now in the black community? Because it's, it's been definitely been a topic of conversation in the past couple of years. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's definitely something that has not always been welcomed as a, you know, sit around the table and discuss. But I will say, again, similar to like even the natural hair conversation and depiction of African-American characters in books, I feel like there's a shift happening where people are seeing that it has been problematic over the years, the fact that in our community, we don't talk about certain things, you know, like your family's business is your business and you just don't take our business out here and don't be like, you know, granted, there is wisdom to not just put everything out there for everyone. But the reality is that um, I think people are catching on to the fact that it's not okay to suffer in silence. It's not okay Mm. to um, try to act like you can carry the world on your shoulders when we all looking at you and we're like, boo, you're not doing it. Like you need some help. Like, like I, I think our community is accepting the fact that it is okay to ask for help. It's okay to be transparent. It's okay to not have an answer for everything. It's okay to not know or be afraid. Um, I think that we're doing a lot better job of encouraging people to be honest with where they are. And so I, I give our community a hand clap because I do think that we're making strides in the right direction. Mm. So your, your writing curriculum, um, how does that tie into, because you, because you are a homeschool, it's a little different <clears throat> because I don't know. Um, I think there's a, a, a big connection between educators and authors. And um, the same can be said about you because you are an educator and you are you are an author as well. So how does creating a curriculum um, basically help you with uh, your target audience and, and, and deciding what goes into your books to reach out to them and that that message is clear? Because obviously you're writing lesson plans and curriculum, you're doing the same thing there. You know what I mean? Right. So you're asking me how, how are the two connected? Yeah. For you. I think if anything, it keeps my creative juices flowing (laughs) (laughs) in a good, like, you know, like it's good to immerse yourself in whatever craft you're doing to just, you're just going to get better. I think ultimately like, I used to not know how to cornroll to save my poor little baby. <laughs> it was so, so sad. I just, every day we'd do the same routine, get her up, draw a whole bunch of checkered parts on her hair and have a whole bunch, like 50, 11 pigtails on her hair. And then she'd go to bed at night. I take all the barrettes and beads out. She'd go to sleep, wake up the next morning, do the same thing all over again. Poor kid. And my sister-in-law would always say, you need to practice. Like, you need to learn how to cornwall this girl's hair. I'm like, I can't do it. So over time, practicing, like, I can't believe I actually could actually cornwall their hair. This past year, I actually started taking some clients here and there. But I think the same can be said with writing. Like, the more you're in practice of it, the better you're going to get. You know, the Mm. more you're going to be able to, like, get a hold of your voice and know what it is you want to say and say it um, clearer. I remember feedback that I always, always, always used to get in college for the papers I would write. The, the professors were always like, this is really good, but you're being vague. 
be more specific, give more details. And I would get so annoyed. I'm like, this is good. I don't know what they're reading. This is good. <laughs> but for specifically um, the writing that I do or the book that I wrote, um, I'm sure we'll talk about that later, but I had a very good friend who actually is an editor professionally. And she read through my first manuscript and she was encouraged. She's like, oh, this is good. Like, you need to give a little more detail. And, and of course, thankfully, I didn't buck against it this time. And mm. so over time, the the putting into practice, learning how to create a scene, you know, showing it, not telling it, just that practice, the repetition of it. So I think when I write curriculum, even though it's completely separate, because this is actually a Christian publisher that makes um, various content, like just so much um, with literally millions of people are reading the content from this publisher, which blows my mind. I went to a conference um, at their headquarters this fall and they were giving the numbers about how many people are subscribing to and purchasing this material. And I was like, what? That's crazy. It was mm. like 14 million people. I was like, oh my gosh, okay, pressure, no pressure, pressure, no pressure. <laughs> right, right, right. But, you know, I think that for anything, that just pushes me to write better the more practice that I'm getting, you know, writing curriculum for the publisher, you know, doing the blogging, you know, um, writing books, because the book that I wrote, The Rumble Hunters, is my first published book, but I've also written other books that I'm hoping to have published in the future. Mm. You know, just constantly writing, 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 you know, even for homeschooling. Um, now that we're in year seven, seven, a lot of what I do, not that it's on the fly, but I write most, if not, well, not, I won't say all, because like I told you about my whole setup, the way math is set up for me, it's never going to work. But <laughs> uh, a lot of what we are doing, you know, I'm writing it. So I think the more that I write, regardless of what spirit's in, I think it's just pushing me to be better. So now you, you do the curriculum, um, you do your blog, <laughs> you, you're doing the homeschool lessons. Being a wife, being a mother of four children. Curtis Dunlap. (laughs) That's my man. When do you find time to like write as just an author? You know what I mean? With all that going on. Uh, so I, I'm really bad. I sometimes can be up to like 12, one, even two o'clock. Like, when I, if I'm down in our living room downstairs, and that's usually where I write, um, and if it's like around one thirty-two, and if I hear my bedroom door creak open, I'm like, oh, all right, I got to go to bed. Because that means my husband's like, all right, now, you need to go get some sleep. What you doing? Right. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. So, yeah, I, I do a lot of my writing for author things. Um late at night i'm sad to say i need to get more sleep but honestly that's when my brain is awake it's weird like some sometimes i'll be asleep and i will be woken up with an idea and i'll like go quickly you know put a quick note on my phone or i'll even get my laptop out laptop out and i like you know i'll be bright and real quiet you know trying to (laughs) 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 but yeah a lot of my writing happens way way too late don't do this at home kids go to bed (laughs) get your eight hours of sleep go to sleep so you developed a a a dope story um with the rumble hunters so before we dive into them 
you mentioned that you had other stories written. Were they also in this, like in the same series or were they totally different uh, concepts? Totally different. Um, yeah, no, for right now, The Rumble Hunters is a standalone book. I have Oh, really? Had. Yeah, it is. It's so crazy. So the similar type of philosophy I have for blogging, I've also carried that into my, I guess, quote, unquote, author life, whatever that means, but whatever. I am highly opposed to unnecessary writing. So I'm not a big fan. Like if you follow my blog, you may get a blog once a month on a good stretch, or you might get one like once every two months, or then you might get like three in two weeks. Like <laughs> I usually <laughs> write when I have stuff to say. My poor subscribers, I'm sorry y'all, but thanks it's for riding with me. Thank you. Thanks for riding with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry guys, it's like hit or miss. This summer I did really good. I did a series on motherhood and I was getting it. I did one every Friday for a month. I was so proud of myself. I was like, whoop, whoop. Right. But, <laughs> So for me, with writing as an author, I really try to write when I have, and this sounds weird, but like something to say, you know, so for instance, with the Rubble Hunters, I haven't been able to have like anything else to say for this story. My my eight-year-old, she's hilarious. I love her. She's very creative. She actually gave me a pretty dope sequel idea last weekend, and I'm mad because I mm. kind of forgot it, but it oh, was wow. weird. This was, <laughs> I know. I, I'm going to ask her again. She has a good memory. She won't forget it. I'm going to ask her again. <laughs> You know, I'm about to go wake her up. Well, hold on real quick. Let me go wake her up real quick. No, but, um, so yeah, <laughs> with the Rumble Hunters right now, it's a standalone. But some of the other things I've done um, are standalones. The very first book that I wrote when I told you just kind of the beginning of the journey, that was intended to be a series loosely based off of my family, um, mm. our nuclear family, my husband and our children. And it's kind of sad and crazy because... In it, in that story, the youngest child was a baby boy, and it was when my son was not even one yet, and now he's six. So I'm like, this is a mess. I need to finish this poor story. This is so sad. I need to finish oh, it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a series, and now we have another baby. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So, yeah, it really varies. Some of my books are just like the Rumble Hunters, which is simply an adventure. You know, I know I speak a lot about my faith in Christ and Jesus and Christianity and all that. And I'm, listen, you're going to get that in my blog. I'm like, look, I'm about to talk about some God. So y'all going to be all right. <laughs> but <laughs> I just can't help it. It just, he has just like, there's so much to celebrate and rejoice about salvation. So I can't be quiet about it, you know, even in this mm -hmm. podcast, but I just can't be quiet. So um, but the Rumble Hunters, you know, it's not overtly Christian. My dedication, again, you getting Jesus in that John, because yeah, he need to be represented. But um, <laughs> in the story itself, it's just the story, you know, which is totally fine. Like it's, I mean, there's elements of Christianity in the, sen in the sense of like the family, you know, God created families, so it's a family in there, you know. Um, but yeah, that story in and of itself is not a Christian story. I'm just like, why can't we have good stories that are just good stories with children and families who look like us? You know, right. I love good stories about how we as a people have overcome, you know, like last year, my daughter, we studied Harriet Tubman and it was like so dope to go through her life. We read some really good books about her. Like, I love learning about the civil rights movement and all that. But equally, I think that it's very important to also allow my children to read content that just shows people who look like us and not just my children, but other children. 
So yeah, not every one of my books is going to be overtly Christian, but I'm like, we can have a good adventure and a good fun story too. But then some of my other books, they are very much so Christian. So what, what was the um, decision-making process when, when deciding to make Rumble Hundreds the first published one um, with having so many other stories? I felt like this story was going to be um, just really remembered and fun. Like, I like to have fun. I, I think I'm a fun person. <laughs> And I had so much fun <laughs> writing this story. And so I also felt like this story was very just comprehensively solid all around. That sounds super duper conceited. And I'm sorry. Hey, if I'm going to own it, way. man. I'm so sorry. But I just felt like this story was so strong. Like, I I could not publish it first. Like, it was amazing. Mm. Yeah. I had so much fun writing it. It was great. I was... I'm so crazy. I'm like sitting here typing, writing it, cracking up at certain parts. I'm like, oh, these kids are about to laugh at this part because I'm <laughs> cracking up. <laughs> but yeah, I just felt like it was just going to be an enjoyable story. And again, like getting families to sit around together and read it. My daughter, I love her. She's eight, um, like I said. And she today, just this afternoon, during one of her breaks for school, she's like, Mommy, I made up a song to read your book. <laughs> so she's like reading it all. So she basically figured out how to read the book with a tune and a song. So and it's like I get I get um, you know, so many messages from people, grandmothers, parents, dads, like even oh my gosh, my first grade teacher reached out and like, mind you, I haven't seen this lady since I was six. <laughs> she found, she got a hold of me and sent me this beautiful email about the book. And oh my gosh, so this story, I feel like it, everything that I wanted to be, it, it just has been. And so that's why it had to be first. So take me back to when um, you had the story, you knew, okay, Rumble Hunters is going to be it. This is going to be the one. I'm going to put out. This is going to be the one I'm going to push first. What was the what was what was your goal at that point in terms of publishing? Did you did you want to did you think about pitching it around uh, traditionally? Uh, well, what it well I guess it's two parts. So how did you publish it? Did you go independent or did you go with a publishing company? And what was your goal with it initially? And did you take the route you initially wanted to go? So the Rumble Hunters is a self-published book. I did use a hybrid publishing company, and I know that that's like a curse word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I, I'm in a lot of different um, Facebook author groups, and oh my gosh, God forbid somebody says hybrid, like people come out you of the woodwork, like, I, I curse you. Ah. I was like, oh. So sometimes I get afraid to say it. For me, I'm grateful it worked out for me. But I also mm. respect and understand the fact that so many people that hasn't been their story, and I'm sad and I'm sorry, and I feel terrible that their experiences with hybrid publishers have not been ideal. Um, so I do, I don't want to make light of it. I, I think you need to use wisdom and figure out exactly what you're signing up for 
exactly what your money is going to. There needs to be accountability. You need to be on it. I was my, 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 um, project manager. Oh my gosh. I probably, I, I hope I wasn't getting on her nerves, but listen, I'm like, this is my bread and butter. Y'all need to do this right. Like, right. come on now. I was always polite and, you know, professional in my emails, but I had to be on it. Um, originally the plan, I did pitch it. I did shop it to traditional publishers. I did that for, cause this story, actually, I wrote it almost four years ago now. Mm. Um, and so when I wrote it, yes, that was the goal. And I had this whole weird, untrue hang up in my brain about traditional publishing versus self-publishing that I don't believe anymore. But at the time I just had this self-defeating thought like, Oh my gosh, if I self-publish, that means my story wasn't really good enough to get accepted by a traditional publisher. And that that's not the truth, you know? Um, but at the time that's where I was. And so I really was pushing hard to shop it out. Listen, I, I even, one of my blog posts is committed to, or it's dedicated to a rejection letter that I got one day. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and a little image I have on it is that Randy Jackson from uh, American Idol, like, sorry, dog, or what does he say? <laughs> <I forget>. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> he says. Uh, but that's motivation. And so once that wasn't working, I was like, and I was doing um, places that accepted um manuscripts from unagented uh you know authors and so that of course limited me for who I could submit to um but then I was like well you know what maybe I should try to get an agent so then I went that route I started seeking out agents and that I actually did for even a shorter amount of time because I had already spent maybe a year and a half maybe even two trying to be traditional and so the agent I was like look this too much y'all can like nah and so it got to the point where I was just like you know what I got to do this on my own. And, and it, and I had grown even in my thinking and I was like, well, you know what? Indie, it's no different than an indie musical artist who puts it on out there on the line on their own. Like, like that's respectable. It's okay. Like oh, yeah, you absolutely. make it, you make it what you want it to be. And so that's exactly what I was able to do again. Like I said, for this book, it's exactly down to the pajamas that the main character is wearing, he has dinosaurs on them. And that was intentional. Like, yeah. So all of it is exactly what I wanted to be. And I do not think I would have been afforded the opportunity had I gone the traditional route. And now that's not to say I'm knocking it because actually the next book that I am, my goal is to publish. I am seeking out a traditional publisher. So check me out, folks. Hey, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I always, always use a moment to give a tip to aspiring writers. And I think it's important that you mentioned um, getting that rejection letter. But like you said, use that as motivation um, instead of letting it deter you from continuing on this path. Um, so what is a bit of advice you would give aspiring writers who've been rejected or who are who had the fear of being rejected and keeping them motivated to move forward? Um, the reality is, and this probably sounds so mean, but it's true. You're gonna Why don't you laugh first? You're gonna... <laughs> I just want to be honest. Like, you're, you're probably going to get rejected. Like, that's just yep. the reality. Like, whatever it is you're doing is not for everyone. Even for my book. I had to turn down an event recently because as my husband and I talked that through, we realized like 
nah, this ain't it. This isn't for us. Like this isn't going to serve the purpose of what it is we are trying to do and be. And also, so on e- on either side, like your book or your passion project is not for everyone. And that's okay. So if you can get over that and get over yourself and not take that as like a sign, like, all right, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be then. Like, no, <laughs> keep pushing, keep pressing. It's tiring. And I don't know when, you know, you're going to strike gold. Um, you might have a lot of like things that fizzle out along the way. Like I said, for me, this book, I wrote it basically four years ago. Um, so it takes a while and it's, so it's going to take perseverance if I can sum it up. Mm. So let's talk about, all right, now you, you chose your publisher, you chose, um, the method of how you're going to release your book. That launch, that release, <laughs> you had the news day. I, saw, I watched that trailer like, yo, break <laughs> that down because like a lot of people, I guess, I don't know, I guess some people don't know how to, pre- yours look prepared, yours look, damn, that like a, that was a launch. You know what I mean? You had the news there, you had a bunch of people but there. I can be OCD a little bit, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. So break down how you prepped for your launch and um, why you did it the way you did. About a month ago, a friend of mine, or I guess maybe a month and a half now, because the launch was at the beginning of February. I cannot believe that we're almost halfway through or more than halfway through February. Oh, my gosh. All right. So about a month and a half ago, I had a conversation with a friend who was just helping me. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll shout him out. Rob, what's up, Rob? I'm like, Rob, oh, my gosh. Um, I just want to do like a little commercial for my book when it launches. So, of course, Rob being Rob, he's like, nah, sis, you need a brand. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to get a team. I'm like, oh, my gosh. But it was very <laughs> helpful. He was pushing me to think bigger than what I was thinking. Because I'm like, oh, I'm cool. A little, you know, a little, I don't know, 30-second little Facebook ad. I'm good. Like, that's fine. Totally fine with that. I mean, we were going to do a party, but, you know, we weren't going to be crazy. Um, and so. I'm just grateful that I have a lot of people around me who love me, which is like super duper dope. Uh, so he encouraged me to build a team. He's like, he's like, you're doing too much. Cause I really was, I was so overwhelmed and stressed sending all these mm. outreach emails and, and, you know, please bring me to your bookstore, bring me to your library, please. You know, he's like, you need somebody <laughs> to, um, basically send emails for you. So yeah, make it, get a team. Because you're doing too much. So as I did that, um, I started to um, just get help and ask people again, like I was saying, asking for help, you know. And so I had a friend who's really great with being creative. So she started working on what types of activities would we have at the launch party. So she, you know, came up with great ideas like that. My brother, I love him to death. He actually works for the news. So he was able to. Oh, get wow. all of that behind the scenes, getting all that worked out for me. So I was like grateful. So every aspect of this has been just, I can't take credit or glory for it at all because it's just having people around me who love me, who see areas that I might be weak in, who can kind of just support me. So it all came together. You know, my parents, they helped with getting the food to the place. And, you know, I had friends, I text, I'm like, oh my gosh, can you please help, you know, with 
if people want to buy the book, can y'all do that so I don't have to worry about Because me and my crazy self, I'm, I'm over here trying to do too much. Yeah, to do everything. <laughs> I'm, <just> like, <laughs> I'm like, mom, I'm just going to make some Z. And she was like, you better not make any Z. I will. So it just, you know, it just all came together where everybody just really took up the mantle for me and just supported me. And, you know, being able to have um, friends who are gifted in photography, friends who are gifted in videography, um, be able to pull on them. And, you know, they have their they're legit. They don't just like, you know, snap pictures on Instagram like they have actual businesses. Mm. Um, So being able to hire them, you know. um, So, yeah, it came together. It was great. I was blown away. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah, it is. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's dope that you got a team. And uh, a lot of people don't realize that how much uh, pressure that takes off you when you do develop a team to start delegating tasks and roles to, especially at, at an event like that. So um, you got your books. You first got your books. Explain that moment uh, when you opened that box and saw them for the first time. Oh, my gosh. my husband's funny he actually put the video of it he's so crazy i was out running errands the day they came i knew they were coming i got the email notification you know so i'm like just gonna come home and so he's texting me like hurry up uh he's like um he gets migraine so he's like texting me babe i got a migraine please you know how long are you gonna be i just need you to help switch off with the baby i'm like all right i'm coming home i'm coming home uh, he fits, he f- you out. Love, love. <laughs> <laughs> he has me on his whole i can't remember was, i don't think it was face facebook live but he definitely was recording when i came in the front door because uh, he ended up posting the video on his Facebook and it's a mess because at one point I'm like, oh my gosh, I look terrible. Let me put some earrings on. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> he wouldn't let me do it either. He was just like, be yourself. You know? Yeah, you're in the so, moment. <laughs> I, that's what he was saying. I was like, no, I need some earrings on though. But, okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was like crazy. I remember holding up. I was like, oh my gosh, they're so pretty. That was my first thought. I was, <laughs> you're yeah, so they pretty. Were just, <laughs> they were. They were so pretty. I was like, oh my gosh. So it was great. I was so like, I was excited. Now, how was the reaction from uh, friends and family? Because I know, I know it's one thing to know somebody writes, but when someone actually comes out with a with a book, when when some when your friends and family consider and say, "Hey, you you are, hey, you're you're an author now," like you know what I mean. So, how was their reaction when you when you showed them the book and um, basically made the announcement that you are a published author? Oh, listen, they didn't need the announcement. They've been on this thing with me, too. My poor, but they probably are so tired of my text messages and all types of, no, no, no. For real, they, I, like I said, I'm just grateful. I have so many people in my circle. And my sister actually was making fun of me because in the back of my book, I have my acknowledgments. They are literally two pages long. Like, they could totally be... A higher word count than the book itself. And I don't care. I was like, yeah, I need to thank some folk because this book is here because of all of y'all. So, you know, it's so crazy. My nephew's birthday um, coincided with the first day that I got the book. And so my sister-in-law, well, she, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, Maggie. She would kill me if she heard me say sister-in-law. My sister, 
she rushed over to the house that day that I got the books and um, she picked up a book and it was so sweet and drove immediately to my nephew's school. And so on a child's birthday at his school, the parents are allowed to be guest readers um, to read a story. So she read my book. So that was a very literally the day after my book arrived at my home. Um, the first book reading in the school occurred because of my brother and his wife, my dear sister Maggie. Mm. And so, like, I, it's been that deep with folks just showing me. I could just tell you countless times the amount of love that I've gotten from the people around me, my family, my friends. It's just, it's insane. <laughs> I just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. That's absolutely it's, amazing. It's like <laughs> awesome. It is awesome. It's so crazy. I can't even describe it. So one of the first things I noticed um, once you send me the link to the to the book is the illustrations. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, they were on point. <laughs> so, yeah, so how, my how, illustrator. What was that journey like of finding the right illustrator for this story? Oh my gosh! First of all, shout out to Nazar Harhipsky. <laughs> so many people have asked how to pronounce his last name. It's Harhipsky. Um. Yes, he actually is Russian and he lives in the Czech Republic. My publisher connected me to him. It was a cool process even with that. Once my manuscript was, I won't even say finalized, but once it was to the point where I was okay with them beginning to move forward with the next step with us moving to illustrations, my publisher sent me, um, basically, it's kind of like, I guess I answered some questions about what style of illustrations do I envision? They sent me various styles to even look at and choose from. So from there, they're like, well, based on your choices, we have these types of artists who do that type of style. So they sent me about 15 portfolios. And they said that, you know, if you hate all of these, it's fine. We've got over 200 illustrators who are contracted through us. So we are going to find the right one for you. So as I look through the portfolios, I noticed one illustrator in particular that stuck out to me and I was like in love with their style, all the things that they offered through the portfolio. It was like crazy. So from there, I had to choose five of my top portfolios that I liked. And each of these illustrators, I gave them a description of my main character because they were going to be doing what's called a test sketch. So from there, I had to choose what the top test sketch was of the main character. And lo and behold, the top test sketch was the same illustrator who was my top choice for a portfolio. So I'm just mm. like, oh my gosh, this is it. And right. the test sketch, I will never forget. It was black and white pencil sketch. My husband and I looked at it and I said, these are my main characters. Like there were no alterations that needed to be made. Like, oh, really? Everything. Yeah. Everything that I saw in my brain for how I wanted them to look down to the headlamp on James, who's the main character, on his head. Because initially when I wrote the story, I was envisioning him holding a flashlight. So my illustrator put that, that was his decision to do that when he submitted the test sketch. And I was rocked. I'm like, oh my gosh, this man is amazing. Sign him up. Let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> so yeah, he was awesome. And so from there, I just, it was like, just, I always would tell him whenever he would send me an illustration, because initially, I would get maybe three or four in a in an email from my publisher. It was like they were the middleman. 
But there was one in particular illustration. I didn't send it to you, but in the story at some point, the character encounters um, their dog. And so I just wasn't feeling what was going on. And so I sent back a few like specific details of what I wanted in it through email. And so eventually I'm like, um, can I just have his contact information? Because I feel like I need to explain this to him. So from there, we decided that it was best for he and I to speak directly, which was helpful because I kept telling him, like, oh, my gosh, Nazar, you were in my brain. Like, you literally get it. And so I was giving him very detailed instructions for every illustration. Each illustration was called a spread. So on every spread, I had to give specific directions about what I wanted that picture to look like. And so Nazar, he just knocked it out the park every time. He cracked me up. He's like, I'm so sorry, you know, Courtney, that this is taking so long. But I just, your story is actually the, like, he basically was telling me, like, my story's the favorite book he's ever worked on. And he had, mm. I think he's been an illustrator for about four or five years. And he was like, I just want it. He's like, not that I don't try my best for anything else. You know, he's like, don't get me wrong. But he was like, <laughs> your story, I just, I just want it to be the best. So I'm taking extra long. And I was like, look, take all the time you need. Yeah, right, okay, right. get this thing right. <laughs> and he really did. He's amazing. I yeah, he's great. Now now for you, um, this story, the characters, obviously they're children of color. Um the one character she has her Afro puffs rocking them proudly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, I told so. him she needed to have some Afro puffs. Yep. So yep. <laughs> why 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 was that important to have to make sure you had children of color as representation as your main character? I think you know, like I've, we've been discussing, um, just the reality that kids are kids regardless of what color they come in. You know, kids are going to be curious. Kids are going to have questions. They're going to make up. You know, like my daughter, you're going to make up a song to what book you're reading. You're going to, you know, create a whole tea party based on something you were inspired by. And why not have your child be inspired by characters who look like them? Mm. You know, so, of course, that was important to me. Like, yes, I want children everywhere, but I also want children of color to see themselves like, yeah, we can go on an adventure. Now, granted, I don't I don't encourage a child to you know, be venturing outside of their house without parental supervision, <laughs> but you can go and have your little adventure in your house around the house, you know, go on a hunt. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's very important for children to be able to see themselves in the books that they read because it, it creates inspiration. It really does. And I think another inspiring thing um, about this book and the characters is that it's, I don't know, I, I want to say old school vibe of how kids act because a lot of them are getting back into being interactive, going outside. But we got away from that. Well, kids got away from that exploration and imagination, uh, tapping into those uh, characteristics in themselves when they just were glued to cell phones. So mm -hmm. I think this book brings that out too. Um, hmm. Like encourage children to explore when they hear something rather than just, I guess, look at their phone for 23 out of 24 hours a day. Look, come on now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. The first description, I'm sorry, the first description I gave of James to the illustrator, I said, he has a big imagination. He's very curious. He's adventurous and he's brave. Those were the ways that I typified and described his character. Mm. So for me, obviously with, uh, with everything 
going on, so many animated shorts and, and, and things like that. Do you see yourself ever attempting to make the Rumble Hunters into like a short animation or have you even thought that far yet? <laughs> Even if I didn't, remember I told you to have people around me who uh, I'm like, I'll just have some, I'll just have some bread and water. They're like, girl, you better go get some PF Chang. Right. So I always have people who are like pushing me to be better and do better. So I, I have actually had people around me make really cool suggestions of how I could build this out and. You know, someone was like, oh, you can make this into a dope video game. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Oh, that's a good crazy. idea. I'll that'd make this crazy. an app. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be <laughs> Yeah, so I I would love it. I, I, I think for me, I need to get over the fact, like, all right, I don't know how to do that. That kind of scares me. So let me not just stop at being scared, but I need to seek out the people who can help make that happen. So, yeah, a short would be cool. I even, like envisioning I could be like a little stage play I don't know it there's so many directions to go with right. this thing like my sister was like oh my gosh you should make this a coloring book I'm like that would be dope <laughs> so, there's so many things that this could be and grow and evolve into so I'm open to it so you're the rumble hunters the story who is your target audience for this story so this story is a fun, fun, fun read aloud. So children who are under five, they're going to be like, mommy, daddy, read me the Rumble Hunters. They're going to enjoy it. They're going to love it. There's just, it's just a fun story. But then independent readers, second to like fourth grade-ish, they're going to enjoy just the discovery of it on their own. Um, like I said, my mom's a school teacher. So she's always like, Courtney, the vocabulary in this book. And she taught elementary school for all those years. She's like, the the vocabulary in this book is so excellent. Like, it's going to help children, you know. So kids in that range even would be able to enjoy it. But even older kids would be able to pick up. There's themes of, like, perseverance and teamwork and overcoming your fears and obstacles. Mm. I even did a workshop um, late last year with sixth graders, which I was a little nervous because, you know, sixth grade, they're trying to be cool. And, you know, sometimes (laughs) they act like they don't care. You know how they are. Uh, so I was a little nervous. So I'm like, oh my gosh, they're about to think this book is so corny. But it actually was, they were on the edge of their seats. Like it was crazy to watch these kids who are like 11, 12 years old just gravitate to this book. And we ended up having such a great conversation. I ended up bringing, I had never done this before. I brought my very first manuscript of the Rumble Hunters and I made copies and I passed it out to them. Because it was during like their English class, their writer, writer's workshop and everything. And so I was showing them like how it has grown. Like, and I was so nervous. I'm like, y'all are going to think this manuscript is whack. And it was, <laughs> it was terrible. It was so bad. Uh, but they got to see the progression. I even brought them the test sketch that I mentioned. I even brought them, um, you know, just the illustrations that were black and white sketches of the actual pages that ended up becoming the book so they got to see the progression of how a book is made and we had just a really great conversation so yeah even older kids i think would enjoy the story as well Mm. so yeah that's definitely the target i think kids just kids (laughs) (laughs) so so what what do you think contributed to that progression of um the story over those years what do you mean so um so from your from the first manuscript to now what what uh 
Like, what were the contributions to the okay, yeah, the, the progression? Because I know sometimes gotcha. it's uh, I spoke to another author and they actually mentioned um their editor. So they had one, they had like one revision, and then they actually worked on another book. And the editor said, in the second book, just from working on the first book with the editor, they didn't even need that many that much correction hmm. because they grew as a writer just from their first you right. know what I mean? So yeah. you know what I, mean? I want to what were some of the things that, that that helped you progress, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I got you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I think uh not getting over my fear of letting people read my work. Uh that was major. I think that really opened the door to help this story in particular progress. Um, like I said, my really good friend, she's an editor. I actually gave her a shout out in my acknowledgements. If anybody ever feels like reading the long two page novel, <laughs> not in there. Okay. Uh, she was one of the first kind of outsiders who I let read it. And I was so terrified. And she was like, listen, Courtney, everybody has to do this. Get over yourself, basically. Those weren't her words, but that was what I heard. <laughs> and, <laughs> She was so gracious. You know, she was very encouraging. You know, she celebrated the things that I did right, but she also didn't shy away from giving me clear directions on what I needed to do to make it better. So I think that that has helped contribute to the progression of this story. Um, so eventually, look, I was like, everybody read this story. My husband was just like, all right, <laughs> just don't, just stop. Don't post nothing on Facebook because you need to publish this book <laughs> so people will buy it. I'm like, okay. But I was having even my friends. So a lot of my friends have children and I would be like, oh my gosh, can you please read this to your kids and get very, I was like, I was probably doing the most again. I was like, take very detailed notes from them, ask them what they like, what they don't like. I even had like a questionnaire of questions for them to ask their children because I needed to know, again, this book is for kids. So I want kids to love the book. So I need to know what they're going to love and what things they're going to hate. So I need to stay away from and so even like when I started getting um, the options for the cover, one of my friends in particular, they were like, okay, it looks cool, but my son says it looks a little scary. It's kind of dark. And I'm like, well, I don't want kids to be scared. That's like the complete opposite of what I'm trying to convey here. So we had to make some tweaks. So oh, yeah, wow. I think that, the progression, yeah, it was very, very helpful feedback for me. I thought it was good. Again, I was like, oh, this is great. Well, we good to go. I was like, no, I don't want to scare kids. So I need to make some changes. So I think the progression has been allowing people in on the process. That's what has helped it get to where it is now. Mm. So I also saw that you did a few, a few readings, uh, reading events where you read your book, present your book. What, how do you prepare for those? And when, how do you go about selecting? Uh, I know you mentioned earlier uh, turning down an event. How do you go about selecting the right event that's in line with your brand and the message you want to convey in your book? It's definitely a uh, 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 kind of you got to be tricky, I guess, with walking that fine line. Since I'm a self-published author, I don't necessarily have a publishing company behind me who is pouring tons of money into marketing and getting me into places and events. And so I got to be hustling. So. <laughs> I really try not to turn things down, you know, overall. Um, I am realizing though that I do need to be wise because sometimes 
those vendor fees will catch up to you. And so if I'm doing a whole bunch of vendor events where the fees are $25, like I'm like, hey, wait, how many books do I need to sell to break even? You know, like you yeah. count pennies over here. So I think there's a balance and in, in a dance in that way where you just have to use wisdom. But I just want to share this book with people. So I that probably sounds so cliche, but I really mean it, dude. I really do mean it. I want kids to enjoy this book. I want to share it. So I've had friends, like I said, I have a lot of friends who are teachers. So they have reached out to ask me to come to their schools. I did this really fun, cool um, culture, multicultural night at a school. And the students, oh my gosh, it was so cool. They interviewed me. I didn't even know what to expect. I was on the stage and they were so cute with their microphones. They had like questions <laughs> written on their papers to ask me. It was so cool. I loved it. Um, so I think in order to prepare for this, I don't know, I just recognize that I want to make sure that kids enjoy the story. So I'm trying to be better at, you know, how I'm reading, you know, with voices. And like, it's funny, my kids, um, they know I'm crazy. Other people's kids don't know I'm crazy, but my kids don't crazy. <laughs> so even when I read just in school with them, even today, my, my daughter, eight-year-old, She's like, mommy, I love when you read stories. I love when you do the voices. So I'm trying to bring that into the readings I do where I'm doing, you know, the voices are being just expressive and crazy mm -hmm. and silly because I want the kids to get into the adventure and feel like they're going along on this journey with the characters as well. So that's really how I prepare, I guess, is just wanting it to be the best experience for people in general. Mm. So what's next for Courtney Dunlap? Oh, look, <laughs> I, uh, I'm just trying to sell this book. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> no, for real, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. No, no, no. So currently I am working on editing um, the next book that I hope to have published. Like I said, I'm shopping it to publishers. It actually, believe it or not, it's like the complete opposite kind of turnaround as far as the genre or topic that's covered because it's actually covering grief, childhood mm. grief. Uh, it's a children's book, um, but I think that that's a topic that needs to be addressed, but oh, yeah, doing it in a, in a way that's, I don't know, it's, I have to be sensitive. Uh, yeah, but I also have tied into it a storyline again because Whenever you're going to read something from me, I just got to tell folks right now, like, look, you're going to read something that's good, entertaining, but it's definitely going to have a celebration of my African-American identity in it. So, yes. Yeah, so this book in particular, it the main character is African-American. Um, so, again, kind of like what your question was earlier about mental health and things like that. And he's a child and he's experiencing grief and how he copes and learns how to thrive and live with the grief that he is carrying so yeah that's the next book that sounds like a downer but <laughs> i think it's an important topic oh, <laughs> i yeah, do absolutely. i think it's important so now tell people where they can find your book where they can reach out to you like drop everything the blogs every single thing all right all right all right let me get it let me get it, let me <laughs> get it <laughs> I feel like you set me up like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> My website is www.courtneybdunlap.com. Uh, my Instagram, I'm so ashamed that I made it what it is, but now I'm stuck with it. 
Uh, it's Courtney underscore B underscore Dunlap. Don't ask me why I thought that was a good idea. I, I'm kicking myself. I hate that I put those in there, but you know what? I got to go with it. Uh, the Facebook page is uh, The Rumble Hunters. So you can see their adventures and what I'm up to on our Facebook page. If you want to uh, follow me on what else? What else is out there? Oh, yeah, Twitter. I'm just now getting back into Twitter. I, I just, I might be old. I never understood Twitter, but I'm trying to be keep up with these young folk. Right, so right. on Twitter, I'm Courtney B. Dunlap on Twitter. Uh, my homeschooling blog is www.able2, that's the number two, teach.com. Again, don't ask me why I did the number two, but you know what? We're not going to talk about it right now. Uh, my book is also available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, uh, Books a Million. Yeah, like the, the major, the big ones. So, yeah, you can find it there. My publisher uh, it's on their website, mascotbooks.com. Um, so yeah. <laughs> All right, Courtney, we appreciate you for stopping through, sharing your journey with us. Thank you for joining us on the Fiction Addiction Podcast. Make sure you visit Fiction Addiction Podcast.com for links on everything we talked about today, as well as awesome resources, additional tips, and Fiction Addiction merchandise.